Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Man, I uh, just personally want to say uh, to you, Miss Cheryl and and Jerry, man, it's good to see y'all. Glad you're back with us, man. We've been praying for you guys. Good to lay eyes physically on you again. So grateful. That's right. Give, give them a welcome back. Um, and also, man, I, I just want to say a word to those of you who are growth group leaders. Whether it's on Sunday mornings, Thursday nights, um, Tuesday nights, uh, Wednesday nights, <laughs> Sunday night, I don't know. We have so many great opportunities. But can I just personally tell you thank you? from the bottom of my heart, because I know how much work uh, it, it takes to be a growth group leader. I know the study that you put in, and I want you to know that Justin and I are just grateful that you serve the body of Christ that you do today. So if there's there growth group leaders in here, Sunday school teachers, anybody in here in the house, just raise your hand up real quickly. I just want to see who you are. I'm one of them. Anybody else? Yeah, I see some over here. Hey, can we just give them a thank you? Thank y'all, man, so much. Y'all are amazing, and you help teach this body and love this body, and man, I'm just grateful for you. I don't know what I would do without my growth group, man. I just love meeting together every week with our people, and man, tonight we get to hang out. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but today, y'all know who Seth is? Everybody know who Seth is? Yeah, our youth dude, man. It's he and his wife's 11th anniversary today. Isn't that cool? Seth and Carrie, man, so grateful for you guys. Happy anniversary. Uh, man, that is just, I love, man, marriage is just a special deal. So Seth and Carrie, man, love you guys and, and pray God's deepest blessings on your marriage for the rest of the time that God gives you. Uh, you know, as I got to thinking about today's message, man, I, I kind of came in with this idea that there are just some things with prerequisites in life, right? Some things you just got to do before you can get to what it is that you want to do. I was thinking about buying a house. If you don't have cash in hand, there's a prerequisite that you got to get approved for a loan, right? I mean, you got to go, got to meet that prerequisite. If, if you want to get married like Seth and Kara did, it's probably a good thing to kind of get the blessing of the parents. If you go into the military, there's this prerequisite they make you do. <laughs> it's called basic training, and uh, you got to go through that before you can actually really go and take care of what you're supposed to do. But then if you kind of make it through those prerequisites, then there's some practical things people say, hey, here's some practical advice I'd like to give you about how now to go about what you're doing. When you're buying a home, they say, hey, even though you got maybe the loan, now it's probably a good thing to get your home inspected. That'd probably be a really wise thing to do. You want to make sure that that bad boy's got, you know, no foundation issues, its bones are good. You probably want to get an appraisal in there to make sure nobody's taking advantage of you. That's probably some good practical advice. Um, sometimes before you get married, not everybody it's going to work for, but I think it's just grand. Uh, probably a practical thing to do before you get married, once you have the blessing, is you probably want to go through some type of premarital counseling, because I promise you, it's not what Hollywood says it is. Uh, you know, I only got the, I only got that marriage, you know what I mean? Like, it's I, <laughs> so teasing. Y'all know, man, we're just as broke as everybody else is. We're fallen and frayed. 
But you probably want to go through that to learn about communication, to learn, make sure about finances, to learn what it means to leave and to cleave, to learn about communication. That's just real practical advice. If you're going into the military, um, they're going to give you real practical advice when you go through basic training. They're going to give you real practical advice, and I'm just going to leave it there. Just anybody who's been there and done that, you kind of know what I mean by that. Well, thinking about all that, you're like, what are you you talking about? Where are you going? Well, I kind of want to bring you in to where we're at in Philippians. You see, in Philippians chapter 3, kind of where we were at last week, because Paul was really given prerequisites for if we're going to press on and become more like Jesus, if we're going to kind of get in this race and keep being formed and fashioned into the image of Christ, there's these prerequisites. And he says, once you've kind of got the prerequisites under control, now he's going to give us some practical advice about, okay, now you've taken care of this. Here's what this is going to look like. Here's some practical advice for what it means to continue to press on and knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm in Philippians chapter 3. I want to invite you to turn there. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to pick up this morning, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, let me just tell you as the pastor, this is not like a command or anything. I don't have that kind of power authority. Here's some real practical advice. (laughs) Bring a hard copy of God's book with you. You know, they're, they're just, it's just practical. There's just something about it when you bring a hard copy of God's book. And I know for some of you, it may be more practical to bring your phone because of the backlight. You can blow that thing up and you can see it. I'm good with that. I'm just telling you. But if at all possible, if you could bring a hard copy of God's Word because you can mark in it and it just, there's something about it that just happens. I don't know. It just is. I can't explain that, but if you don't, that's great too. Break out your phone and go for it, or your tablet, or your iPad, or your neighbor, whatever it is. Uh, but if you don't have a copy of God's Word, in the seat pockets in front of you, there's one there. So you can break that out and uh, go to Philippians. But if you don't have a copy of God's Word, man, we want you to take that one home with you, the one that's under our seats. And if you've got a neighbor that needs one, hey, you can take it as well. We don't really care. We just want God's Word to go out. Amen. Uh, that thing is powerful. This is living and active. Amen. Are you ready to get into this? All right. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We're going to be in reading. And uh, Andy, if you could, I'm going to begin reading. There you go. In verse 17. Man, you are on it back there, bro. I so love you, man. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Who will, listen, transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Oh God, would you bless your word, glorify your son, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's the first practical piece of advice Paul says. We're going to keep pressing on, okay? We're going to do that. We've kind of met those prerequisites. What are we going to do? What a practical advice. Super simple stuff. The first thing is this. Follow good examples. 
He says, hey, practical advice, just follow good examples. Verse 17, if you'll take your eyes, look there on the page. Verse 17 of Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He says, brethren, that's the third time in the book that he said that. Because he's talking about this idea that we do this together. And as we're all walking together in love, we're going to observe really good examples. He says, join in following my example. Literally, it says, be a fellow imitator of me. It's the word tupas, and it means the mark of a stroke or a blow. Uh, print, like when you would take something and you would take a, an imprint of something here, a, a, maybe a piece of metal, and you would drive it down into something and pull it out, it would leave a mark. It means a, a, a figure formed by a blow or impression, an example. And in a technical sense, it means the pattern and conformity to which something must be made. And then it also means a, an example to be imitated And it speaks of men or women worthy of imitation. And that's exactly what Paul says. He's basically saying this, hey, just mimic me. Wow, that's awesome. We talked about it last week, though. And see, here's where we kind of get sideways. You may be feeling like Paul would feel. Paul hasn't reached spiritual perfection. And so it's hard for us sometimes to say, follow me, because I know I'm not perfect. Well, Paul wasn't perfect either, but yet he said, follow me. We know that just reading the book of Acts that, that Paul didn't, he wasn't spiritually perfect. He had to apologize to the high priest for the comments he made because he lost his temper. We find that in Acts chapter 23. We know that he struggled with pride in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and therefore God gave him this thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Three decades later in, in 1 Timothy, Paul says, hey, I'm still the chief of sinners. So he hasn't achieved spiritual perfection. But think about it like this, right? If Paul was perfect, you and I wouldn't have an example to follow because we just don't know any other perfect people. This is good news for me. This is great news for me. We need someone to see. We need to see how some people struggle. We need to see how they overcome when they struggle. We need to watch people repent because they're sinful. We we need those examples, how they handle disappointments, how they model morality, how they handle victory over temptation, how they endure in suffering, how they handle their possessions and their relationships. And Paul was saying, hey, listen, as I press on, even though I'm not perfect, follow me as I follow Christ. But then he says there in 17, to observe others who walk and live like the example that you've seen. Now, when he says there in verse 17, he says observe. That word from observe is taken from the same word up previously, keeping our eyes on this prize, the goal. It literally means to fix your gaze upon. Fix your eyes upon others who are pressing on and just do what they're doing as they press on. He's most likely referencing Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's also talking about the deacons and the elders here in Philippians. Brothers and sisters, man, I I want you to know that I really believe this with all my heart, but but Justin, Pastor Justin, and our deacons, and hopefully my life, are are well worth following. That would be our goal. And when we don't get it right, hopefully you could follow our example of saying we didn't get it right. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.12, when Paul was telling Timothy, he said, let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. 
Timothy must have lived up to that because now he's telling the Philippians, follow Timothy's example. Praise God. You know, I read a story once not too long ago. I was reminded of it again. But if you know who Gandhi was, Gandhi was a man who was trying to, was on his spiritual journey. And he would often say things like this. I like your Christ. It's your Christians I can't stand. He says, you're Christians. I would become a Christ-like person. I would become a Christian if it weren't for Christians. That's just deeply saddening to me. Well, we all need examples. He was looking for good examples to take him to Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, is your life like that? If someone were to follow your example, would they know more or less about Jesus? If not, then find some good examples and hang out with them and just do what they do, amen? Find some Christ-like examples and do life with them. Learn from them. Here's practical advice. Read some good books of people who follow Jesus. Read biographies and autobiographies, the heroes of the faith, and learn their habits and imitate their habits. Because if they were like Christ, it's because they did some things to be like Christ. But at the same time, think about this, and this goes deeply personal just for a moment, but I really want you to go there and have a gut check. If someone were following your example, if someone were following your example, would they look more like Jesus? Because trust me, people are following your example. Now, like Paul, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to get it right, but what you can show them is, is what we do to make it right. So follow godly and good examples. Here's the second thing he tells us. He says, flee godless enemies. Flee godless enemies. In verse 18, Paul says this. He picks up and says, hey, many walk in whom I've told you and now tell you even weeping that their enemies are the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite and their glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. Now, Paul says, listen, there's a lot of good examples to follow, but there are some godless examples that you need to flee. These enemies may not have been openly hostile, which is interesting. He's saying they're like their evil master, Satan, and they're so deceptive. They disguise themselves as what? Messengers of Christ, of angels of light, of servants of righteousness, and sadly, they creep into the church and possibly even become leaders in the church. There's warnings about this all throughout the New Testament. Paul says their walk is not to be imitated. Paul says, I've told you about this. I've told you about this before. This is most likely when he was with them in person. It's similar to what he picks up in Ephesians when he says in Ephesus, when he's writing in the book of Acts, talking about his trip to Ephesus. He says in Acts 20, he says this. In Acts 20, verses 28 through 31, Paul says, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And here he says again, and I tell you this, and I warn you this to the point of weeping. This is the idea that they're enemies of the cross. And because of that, Paul says, hey, I do this with weeping. 
He says the havoc that these kind of people will come in and cause the church hurts him deeply. He cares for the church as well as the fate of those who are just pretending. He knows it will hurt the church. It will hinder the lost and it will show that people are really lost. And that brings him deep grief. These enemies taught that the gospel was insufficient to save. So they added works to salvation. Some today go with me here, just philosophically for a moment. It's the form of, of this idea called Gnosticism. It comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. And basically they were teaching this, that the spirit is good and matter is evil. Therefore, the body, since it is made up of matter, the body is evil. Thus, salvation is not redemption of the body, but deliverance from it. What's the thinking? Here's how it applies. So therefore, in your body, it does not matter if you are a drunkard. It does not matter if you are a glutton. It does not matter if you are a homosexual, if you are an adulterer. Whatever you do to this body, it doesn't matter because the body is what? The body is evil. So therefore, we've got to get rid of the body. But Jesus says we're going to get a resurrected body. And that we're to crucify the flesh, not give into it. The Judaizers, whom we said earlier were saying that you had to become circumcised and, go, and obey all the law of Moses to become a, a Jewish person and to be right with God. They, they said that it was the gospel, this Messiah plus circumcision, plus keeping the law. There are many people in our community today who would add to the gospel. Paul says they're enemies of the cross. The Gentiles, they did the opposite thing. They didn't add stuff to it. They just took away from it. In other words, you don't have to become holy. You don't have to become more like Jesus. Just give in to your flesh, and God's going to make it right anyway. You don't really worry about this resurrected body. The enemies of the cross add or take away from the gospel. But listen to me, beloved sisters and beloved brothers. Listen to me in my voice very carefully. Salvation is by grace alone. It is based on nothing that you and I do. It is all about the grace of God that he would love us enough to send Jesus because it's by grace alone and Christ alone. There's nothing more or nothing less than Jesus in our salvation. And we gain it by faith alone. Faith and his finished work and his resurrection. And it's based on the word of God alone because it is the only truth alone about those things for the glory of God alone, Amen. There's nothing else and anything less than that. Anything, anybody telling you you've got to do more or you've got to do less than what's written in this book is an enemy of the cross. And Paul says, listen, if you want to be like Jesus, flee those people. Get away from them. Don't be under their teaching. Don't be under their influence. So that's practical. Why? Why would we do this, Paul? Why do you want us to run? Why are we fleeing from these people? Well, he says there in verse 19, he says, because... Flee because of their doom. Flee because of their doom. He says, their end is destruction. Beloved, listen to me. Their end is like anybody's end that doesn't know Jesus. Listen to me. I say this with all the love in my heart. I'm not trying to scare you. You're not trying to manipulate you. I'm just called to preach this book. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus... Your end is destruction in a place called hell. And this is just as real as I am. And beloved, he's saying those who are enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. And if you don't know Christ, listen to me, you can't be for him, then you are automatically against him. 
So the Bible says, but God doesn't want you to be destroyed. God is not willing that any should perish, but all would what? Have everlasting life. And so today at the end of this message, I will give you an opportunity to avoid destruction because God wants you to have life. Amen. But their end is destruction. But flee also because of their deity. Flee because of their deity because he says there, whose God is their appetite. That word for appetite literally means the abdomen, and it means all unrestrained sensual or fleshly desires. To the Jews, it was their dietary laws. To the Gentiles, it was their sensual pleasures. But listen to me, if salvation and satisfaction can be found in anything else but Jesus, then we have another God. So you've got to flee from those who aren't running to Jesus. Amen. But then he says flee because of their disgrace. Flee because of their disgrace. In verse 19, he says this, whose glory is their shame. Whose glory is their shame. They, they boast in what brings you shame. They boast in these things that, that are the worst of perversions. It's kind of like what happened when I watch another country who passed a law that abortion could happen all the way up to birth and they're celebrating in the streets. We get to kill babies. Their glory is their shame. Their glory is their shame. It's like when people in our country, and yes, I have to say it because I won't change this book, when they glory that that now homosexuals can be married. Yes, they're married. It's their glorying and their shame. And if you struggle with that sin, I want you to know there's grace for you. Just like there's grace for me, my sin is no different than yours. But we have to call sin what sin is, church. But their glory is in their what? The Bible says their glory is in their disgrace. I remember reading a story about this woman, and she had this husband who was a drunk. He's just a perpetual junk, and she was so ashamed of him. So, so he would often come home and he would get drunk and, and he would drink even more after he was home and then he would just kind of fall out, pass out of sleep in the chair and he would snore really, really loudly while he was passed out. One day she got tired of snoring. She read this story that if you tied a ribbon around somebody's nose, it'll fix their snoring. Well, that night he came home plastered and he flopped into bed and he just started snoring. So she took out a blue ribbon and tied it around his nose and sure enough, it worked. Well, he awoke up in the morning and he began staring himself in the mirror. And she came in and she's like, hey, honey, what'd you do last night? Where'd you go? He's like, I don't know. But wherever I went, I won first place. Somebody who's glorying in their shame. We're to flee people like that. And then Paul says flee because of their disposition. Their disposition, verse 19, he says, who set their minds on earthly things. They're only thinking about let's eat, let's drink, let's party for tomorrow we die. It's not about the Lord. It's not about holiness. It's not about the kingdom of God. It's not about the fruit of the spirit. It's just worldly things. James 4, 4 says this. He says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is what, church? Hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself a what? An enemy of God. First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, what does the Bible say? The love of the Father is what? Not in you. So as we press on after Jesus to love him with all that we are and to continue to be made more and more like him, we must flee those who are not running the race with us. We reach them with the gospel 
instead of them reaching us with their godliness. We reach them with the gospel instead of them with their godlessness. They reach us. In other words, here's what happens. Can you imagine right now, Kyle, I'm going to use you by way of illustration. You do not have to get involved. I just want you to know. But right now, would it be easier for, for this man right here to pull me down to where he's at or for me to pull him up to where I'm at? It would be much easier. Everybody knows this is the law of physics for him to pull me down. And beloved, when you see people that are pulling you off the course, that are pulling you down and away from Jesus, Paul says, hey, don't try to think that you're strong. You just flee from them because it will happen. We all know this. My professor in, in seminary used to say this, if you don't want to get fleas, don't run with dogs. That's just the way I'm going to say it down here in Texas. If you don't want to get fleas, just don't run with dogs. So let me ask you this. When you see when you see the signs that we've just talked about, the Bible says flee. One person won the, the Boston Marathon, as I mentioned last week, and he was from Africa. And they asked him, hey, how come all you Kenyans and Africans can run so fast? He was like, bro, we got lions where we live. <laughs> when you see the sign, when you see the signs that there's a lion coming, you, you don't just like, well, I think I, I. No, you take off, Right. So when you see people that are earthly minded, glorying what should bring shame, students, think about this in, in your school, the kids who are doing things that would bring God shame, you don't just hang out, you run. When you see them constantly thinking about this world's desires and they don't care about eternity, flee them because they're like a lion and they will pounce on you. So let me ask you this question personally. Who and what are the people involved with that you're surrounding yourself with? Who's doing the influencing? Who, who's having their example manifest? Think about the choices of entertainment, friends. Those people you follow on social media, is whom you are following and watching, asking you and pushing you closer to be like Jesus? Because I'm telling you, the Bible says if you want to become like Jesus, you've got to follow and put your mind on the things of people that follow Jesus. It can't happen any other way. So Paul says, hey, follow good examples, flee godless enemies. And lastly, this is the best part, amen. I'm so glad the Bible saved the best part for last. Focus on glorious eternity. Ooh, 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 ooh. Focus on glorious eternity. In verse 20, he says this, for our citizenship is where, church? It's in heaven. And we, what kind of waiting are we doing? Eagerly waiting for who? Jesus. And what's he going to do? Transform this body into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. Beloved, the underlying motivation for Christ-likeness is that Christ is coming back. Since Christ is in heaven, that must be where my thoughts must be. You see, I've got a different kind of citizenship, amen. The word citizenship refers to the place where one has an official status. It's really an idea where one's recorded as being a citizen of whatever area it is. For those who've trusted Jesus Christ, did you know that your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? <laughs> Woo, that's a good name to have there. That's a good place to be. In the Book of Life, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But what did he say? Rejoice what? That your names are recorded in heaven. Man, my name's been written down. How about yours? When the roll is called up yonder. <laughs> Some of y'all, I'm going to preaching now. Y'all better get behind me. 
If I have to go down to the African-American church, I will. I'm going to get me a witness up in this house. I need me somebody. I don't preach for just me. I need it. Come on, give me some amen. Y'all excited about heaven or what? We are citizens of Christ's kingdom of heaven. And that was familiar to the Philippians. You know why? Because the Philippians were Roman citizens, even though they lived outside of Rome. (laughs) Did you know that? I'm a citizen of heaven, even though what? Right now, I'm just living right outside of heaven. (laughs) I'm going to be there one day. But Paul says we're going to eagerly await for a Savior, eagerly. Acts 111, the Bible says this, and they said to to these men, they said, men of Galilee, why are y'all just standing looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up for you into heaven will come in the same way as you watched him go into heaven. He's coming again, folks. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter when when he died and he was raised and he ascended into heaven, but church, that ain't the end. (laughs) He's coming back. Good Lord, I'm going to preach by myself if y'all want me to. John chapter 14, verses two through three. Somebody started talking to me about this up on the stage. I hope it blesses them. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. And if it weren't so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Stuart, welcome home. (laughs) Woo! And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you must be. But Jesus said, listen, I'm going up, but you better be ready for me to come back. Get ready, church. Why? Because verse 21, he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with his glory. Did you know that? There's going to be a glorious transformation. You won't recognize Steve Brown in heaven because I'm going to look a whole lot different. Some of you are just going to take you a minute to settle on that. You'll know me, but you're going to, yeah, I might, well, no, I think to be in heaven is going to be short. Some of y'all are going to get that fixed, Amen. Romans 8, 23, the Bible says, and not only that, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. Can I tell you something? If you've ever been to an orphanage anywhere in the world, you know that those kids are excited that somebody might come and take them home one day. And the Bible says we are like that. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. We eagerly await him to step on the planet. Amen. I'm going home. I done got so fired up, I got the bass playing, amen. That's what that is. I'm going to play bass, and mama play fiddle, and we'll just all have us a good time. I'm going to go over here and fix this. All right. I'm going to let y'all fix that. Man, we, even heavens are humming on that one. That's good. Believers who die before the return of Christ have a temporary separation of the spirit from the body. That's exactly what Stuart experienced. His body and his spirit separate. His body's still here, but his spirit is with Jesus. And that body will go into a grave and the spirit immediately into the presence of God. But at the rapture, praise God, those who have died, their spirits will be joined to a new precious body one day. And the Old Testament believers who were saved during the tribulation, they're going to receive their resurrection bodies at the second coming of Christ. But nevertheless, everybody in Christ will be gloriously transformed. What this means is, church, if you didn't know, that heaven is so holy, we can't go there in these sinful bodies. Heaven is so holy, it takes a, like it took a new spirit, it's got to take a new body because God is all glorious, amen. And we can't take this with us, we're going to get a new one, and we're going to be a fit for heaven. Furthermore, I'm going to be like Jesus in his resurrected body. I'm going to be able to eat, talk, and walk just like Jesus. Did you know that when Jesus was kind of here on earth in his resurrected body, he just kind of went between walls and just kind of showed up different places? 
Man, I can't wait to do that. <laughs> Woo, man, you know, think you want to be at what? Like, I don't know, you want to be wherever, you're just going to be there. It's just cool, man. It blows my mind. But none of that compares to this. I get to have a redeemed spirit and a glorified body, which allows me for the first time in my life to perfectly manifest my God's glory and to never let him down again. One day, one day I'll never have to say, God, I'm sorry. One day I'll never have to say, God, please forgive me. One day I'll look just like him and praise God for that. Woo, y'all might want to get that fixed because I'm telling you, I'm fixing to have me a spell back up here. The best is this. I get to be like him. Sin, weakness, sorrow, pain, doubt, fear, temptations, and hate will all be replaced with joy, pleasure, knowledge, comfort, and love, and God will be most glorified. This will permit this, this creation to be what God has intended it to be and to live with him in glory forever and ever. See, I'll get to be with God, and God will get to be with me. You often thought about what it does to God's heart that we can't be there yet? He misses us. We're his children, amen. COVID, we can't see our parents, and our parents can't see us, and it kills us. But did you ever think that God feels that way about you? One day, (laughs) beloved, we're going to see him. The Bible says in Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. (laughs) Sweet Jesus. I'm going to see him face to face. Revelation 22, three through four, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and a lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Woo, praise God. Now, some of you ain't a forehead, some of you are a five head, but it's still going to be the same, amen? We will be suited for eternal service to God. Did you know that? The Bible says in Revelation 7, 15, for this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. But somebody in the room might say this, Woo, that's some good preaching. And man, that's some motivating stuff, but I just don't believe it's going to happen. I don't believe anybody can do that. Well, Paul said, yeah, I got you. I thought about it. Here's my answer to you. He says, by the exertion, verse 21, of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That word subject means this, to arrange an order of rank, to manage. You see, during the millennial kingdom after Christ comes back, he's going to transform the earth's topography. Did you know that the hills are going to be made flat and things that are flat will be made hills? That God's going to just come and kind of rearrange everything. Did you know that? Any of you tried to do that lately? It's called landscaping. But I guarantee you, after about one hill, you're done. Try doing the whole world. If Christ can subject the entire universe and do that, the natural kingdom, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, that the lion is going to lay down with something. You try to do that. A little kid can be walking by a cobra's hole and it's going to be okay. You try to overdo that. The Bible says that if Jesus can do that to the entire world and to the entire natural created order, Paul says that he can do that with the same power he's exerted over all that. He can surely take your body and make it something cool. What Paul is saying is the greater to the lesser. If Christ can subject the entire universe, he certainly can make your body new. You know what a glorious eternity it will be. And he says to set your mind on that. Beloved, my family and I, as you know, we're beach people. 
We absolutely love the beach. We go every chance we get, and, and we at least try to get to the beach at least once a year. But every year, we've had this tradition for years, but every year, all of our kids that can and all of our grandkids and all the other parents that'll come of our people that are married and their brothers and sisters, anybody, we try to go to Delaware, which is, I know you're saying, what in the world? <laughs> we just did it. That's just what we do to Rehoboth Beach. There's a precious beach there. It's been our tradition for a very long time. We have an absolute blast. Our kids have great memories from there, and now their kids are getting to have the same memories, and it's awesome. But concerning that beach trip, every year after we leave, we set our phones to say, how many hours and days did we get to come back? <laughs> I mean, like it starts the moment we leave. Pull out the driveway. Beep, beep, countdown zone. You know why? Because we can't wait till we get there again because of the joy. Because, we, because of all that, we start saving our money. We start talking and texting. We start posting memories. We make arrangements. We encourage each other. But here's the point. I can press on no matter what happens during the year because I know I'm going to the beach. <laughs> I, mean, I push through the hard stuff. I push through the junk to do what? So I know I'm going to the beach. Listen, beloved. Listen, beloved. Our trip to heaven's coming up. And you can press on no matter what. You can press on no matter what. Heaven is better than a beach. But I think it's got a beach there. I just, I just think somehow about that. It's got steak and other good things too, but that's just, that's just how I think. But we've got to put our mind on glorious eternity. Paul says, press on, follow good examples, flee godless enemies, and focus on glorious eternity. Jeremy, if you would come, and anybody else that is with you, we're going to land this plane this morning this way. Some of you have heard my preaching, know that I use some examples and illustrations twice. <laughs> it's because they're good. <laughs> and I forget, and you do too. <laughs> Remember I told you about the thing about postage stamps? Postage stamps are getting more and more expensive. I don't know if you've noticed that. But at least they have one attribute that many of us could imitate. They stick to one thing until they get there. And beloved, I'm telling you today, you just stick to this one thing. Paul says, one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind I press on toward the mark of the high call that's found in Jesus. Just asking today, can you just hang on to this one thing until we get there? So some of you in the room today, I just need to ask you this question as we kind of, kind of, guess kind of pull down to where things are kind of really at because I believe I just believe this book is living. And I believe it accomplishes what God sent it forth to do. So right now I know that when God has a man or a woman proclaim this book, he speaks. And when he speaks, nothing can stay the same. That's why we do this thing called an invitation. That's why Southern Baptist, we open this thing. And what we're doing right now, I just want to help you understand what's going on here, is we're saying this is symbolic of an altar. That's why we call it an altar call. This is where we invite you to respond to whatever it is that God has spoken. 
But too many times what we do is we get into our cars and we get out on 71 and before we can even get down to Walmart, we've forgotten what it is that God's already said. And listen to me, there's something else about the things of Baptists and we do this. The Bible says, if you confess me publicly before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. There's something about going public with commitments. That's why we do marriages in public. That's why we make big commitments, baptisms in public. We just believe there's something about that scripturally. So what we're doing is not trying to weird people out or make people, we're just doing what we know how to do because we're people of the book. And so right now, I'm just gonna tell you, we're gonna stand up in a few minutes. I'm gonna pray. And if the Lord has spoken to you in any way, you don't have to come forward, but you can make that place right there an altar. You can turn your seat into an altar. The point is not where, but it's that you do what God's asking you to do. Now, there'll be some men and some women that'll be lined up here to receive you, to pray with you, to talk to you about anything you want to talk about. But I'd rather you talk to God than be worried about what people are going to think. You just do what you have to do, but don't miss God speaking. Here's the first thing I want to tell you today as we go into this time of an altar call. The Bible says that we're citizens of heaven. There's only one way to become a citizen of heaven. You got to be born again. Because the Bible says this, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means there's nobody, none righteous, no, not one, not even me, nobody in this room, nobody that's ever lived except for Jesus Christ has ever been sinless. The Bible says that because we've all sinned, that the wages of that, what we get because of that is death. That means physical death. That means spiritual death. We're going to die physically and forever be spiritually separated from God. The Bible says the free gift, though, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Because God said this, that he so loved you that he sent Jesus to die your death, to be buried and to be raised again, to give you forgiveness, to make you right with God. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you're you're turning from the way you were living and you're turning to Jesus and you say, Lord Jesus, I believe what you did on that cross and what you did in that bear on that resurrection, you paid for my sin, and that's the only way that I can be made right from God. And I confess you as the Lord of my life, and I believe that you died and were raised. The Bible says that you would be saved. Saved from what? Saved from that death and that separation. And when you and I do that, when we confess that Jesus, we want him to be the Lord of our life, and we turn from our sin, ask for that forgiveness, ask for that new life, the Spirit of God comes inside of us and bears us again. We were dead, but now we've been made alive. And that, my friends, is called the new birth. And the moment you do that, you get your name written down in the book of life. That's when your citizenship changes. I don't know where your citizenship is today, but I want it to be in heaven. So if that's never happened to you, today's a great day to make that happen. So there'll be some men and women here that can help you walk through that. For the others of you today, maybe you've gotten caught up in this idea as we referred to with Kyle earlier. Maybe you're letting the world and your other friends and other people, they're trying to pull you down and you've kind of gotten caught in it. Maybe today is the day you just let go and flee the other way. You know what that is, I don't. And others of you just may have questions, you may have prayer concerns, you may have things going on in your life, in your world, with your kids with jobs, I don't know, but you just want somebody to pray with you. That's what we're going to do. Amen. 
So I'll tell you what I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna pray. And when I say the words amen, I want you to stand to your feet. When I say amen, stand to your feet. Jeremy's gonna lead us. There'll be some men and women down here and you come and let's do business with God. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that somehow through the power of your spirit, just the foretaste of heaven will be enough today to remind us of your love and that we will be drawn by your love into this thing called grace. Where sin was great, grace was great. I pray it in Jesus' name.